Hey there, boys and girls. It's Ralph Garman, and you're listening to Talking Cod Swallop. Good choice. Hey, I'm Alicia Witt. I'm Daniel Portman from Game of Thrones. I play Podrick Payne. I'm Ellipses, and you're listening to the Talking... Okay. I'm Mark Bernard, and you're listening to the Talking Cod Swallop podcast. Hey, man, it's Kevin Smith, Silent Bob, whose voice you were never used to hearing in the 90s until I started opening it up, man. And that's because I'm a podcaster, and you're listening to a podcast. Talking Cod Swallop, right here, man. Welcome to this week's Talking Codswallop. With me today, I have my usual co-host James with me. Hello, everybody. And we've also got a special guest with us today. We have got Audra. So welcome to Talking Codswallop. Thank you, thank you. Yes. And how are you? I am well. I'm sorry about my absorbent, like, crimson thing here, but this weekend is OU Texas weekend, and I'm... A typical American superstitious person, I have to wear my certain hat and my earrings and my like, so just forgive this whole thing here. <laughs> For people who are outside of America, what does the, all of that mean? <laughs> all of that means <laughs> that we Americans are crazy about our American football. And uh, okay. in, Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, we don't have a pro team. So it's sort of the only pro team we have is the, the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's basketball. And so football, college football is like a religion here. Ah, and then we okay. also were very superstitious. So I have on my super lucky earrings. I have on a lucky bracelet you can't see. I have on my lucky hat. I have on my lucky shirt because our rivals are playing today. <laughs> <laughs> so you so. don't want them to win at all. <laughs> It is such a vicious rivalry. We can't even play the game. And most college football games here, you play at home or you play at their stadium. But this is so bad. And there were so many fights back way back in the day. They actually have to play it halfway between the two colleges. So. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm not very sport-minded at all, so it's kind of, it, I have to admit, it kind of is going over the top of my head a little bit, but uh, it's yeah. It's insane. Yeah, you get the point. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, welcome to Talking Codswallop. Thank you for joining us. Where You're actually from Oklahoma, is, is that am. right? Yeah? Yep. So what's life like in Oklahoma? It is a flyover state for a reason. It's um, really... <laughs> I will tell you right now, just listen. My windows are open in my house. Okay. You heard nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really quiet here. The best thing about Oklahoma is the cost of living is so cheap that you can make decent money and travel. So that's the greatest thing. My family's here and the people are truly so ridiculously nice that it's not even funny like neighbors and stuff i like my neighbor came over two weeks ago just knocks on my door on a saturday and he's like i just came from my i just came from my land and i've got extra squash here's a bag of squash and i'm like Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it's just quiet and it's nice and people are nice my friends and family are here but it is there's not a lot. There's there's theater and things like that to do here, but it's definitely 
our claim to fame for tourism is the Murrah bombing building. So, you know. Uh, okay. It's the term folksy. Uh, you could call it that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's just if you don't want to be in a hurry to go anywhere or do anything, and you want to like a cabin in the woods to be left alone, this is your spot. Hell so. yeah. <laughs> yeah! Yeah, it does sound nice, like a nice, quiet vacation place. It truly, if you want to come and read a book and be left alone or have somebody who's really, like you said, folksy and nice, be like, "How you doing today?" For the most part, people here just they're they're not in a hurry; they're just laid back genuinely nice people although a very red state and people kind of get the impression that we're backwards country folk we're behind on oh, so many you know teacher pay is one of the lowest in the country divorce rates the highest but it's just a weird it is a very weird mix-up mashup of people but they're so nice and it's just super quiet but you're right nice place to come vacation and do nothing so yeah. <laughs> first of all the reason why you're on this podcast is because like we obviously know each other through tell them steve dave and also through the tsd town dolls as well yes which james because james is new to twitter so you you don't know of the tsd town dolls do you not particularly no and so basically what what that was is that well, initially it started off that it was like once a week, we would all, like a collective group of us, would all have different themes, basically, that we would dress up to. So it was either relating to the podcast or it could be a Halloween theme or anything like that. So, yeah, so we both were involved in that with a load of other people. And it's kind of filtered down to the point that it's not really happening anymore, unfortunately, which was a bit sad, but... I think there's going to be a reboot of makeup stuff with new 13 percenters coming out in October sometime. May have already come out by the time this is aired. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. the theme is always secretive. So I know what the theme is because I was invited to do it, but unfortunately I just didn't have the time. So, mm. yeah. So, so basically that's how we kind of know each other really, isn't it? Through that. Yes. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but the other reason why was because you mentioned about obviously having some fun stories that you can tell us so i wondered if you'd like to get into that sure let's do it let's do it i oh, yes please we love fun stories yeah <laughs> okay well tell me what you want to know first because i've got every kind imaginable okay well first of all what kind of job do you do so that you can give a history of that sort of thing absolutely uh, i'm a nurse i'm specifically 20 years of hospice nursing i came basically okay. Went to nursing school and and it, this this should resonate with a lot of tell them Steve Dave fans because there is that dark undertone of all of us. Yeah. And when we were in nursing school, everybody's like, "I want to do ER," and then the others are like, "Oh, I want to birth babies," and I'm looking at them crazy. I'm like, "I want to do hospice. I'm into death and dying." And they're like, what "The hell? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you want to do hospice?" I'm like, mm "Hmm. Yep, that's my thing." So straight out of nursing school, went into hospice. I did it for 20 years full time. Unfortunately, um, lifting and moving and caring for people, bathing, wiping rear end, you know, go ahead and wiping the asses and doing all of those things over the years, trying to take and taking care of people in all kinds of situations that is probably unimaginable to most people. I injured my back 
and it oh. sidelined me completely from being able to do it. But so full time, I do um, insurance work now with a company that shall remain nameless. And then I do part time, occasional part time home health and hospice work. So I'm still in the hospice gig. I can't let it go. It's just one of those things. So yeah, yeah. That's, and to be honest, I think like with regards to the hospice side of things, I think that it's actually quite admirable to sort of go down that line of route because it's kind of helping someone at the end of their life, isn't it really? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I had a friend that went into hospice and then she, there's a high burnout rate because it is sort of like willingly like going to go into this. Absolutely. You know, if anywhere else in the medical profession, if, if you're doing something and the patient dies, that is not what was supposed to happen in hospice. That's sort of the expected outcome. Like that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, that was okay. Plan of care effective. We just did everything we were supposed to do because they're gone now. And so it's the, you willingly like sort of subject yourself over and over to this sort of like additional trauma. So there's a huge amount of burnout in hospice. And one of my friends went into Pete birthing babies. And she said, it's really not that different. And, you know, you're on one side of life or the other. It's, you know, a soul coming in, a soul going out. That's it's So it's a part of the continuum of it. And it's just, especially Western civilizations are so death terrified, you know, I mean, and my daughter will tell you, she grew up with dinner conversation of like, don't bury me in a casket. I don't want to have it happen. She's like, my God, mom, seriously? Like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, so this guy and he died today you know so she's and it's funny because she grew up in this and she still doesn't want to talk about death and I look at her like you grew up watching movies and they close the people's eyes and I'm like that's not how that works it's not that that doesn't happen like she's like so so when you say I want to do hospice they go you know yeah it's the fastest way it is an admirable an admirable thing to do having known people who been involved with that and seen things to do with hospices first time myself yeah it's you're hitting probably in a sense i would guess and you can put me wrong but you're probably you're obviously seeing the the absolute worst of things but you're also being there to probably be for people the best thing ever in that situation something that'll make an extremely positive change in their you know impact upon their life Yes, that's true. It is, it is, it is truly one of the most um, intimate moments in a family's life. You sort of come into this and you see people at the absolute worst. It, it, I think probably us and divorce attorneys <laughs> are going to see people at their yeah. absolute <laughs> lowest and worst at life. So we don't get to see the best of people, but we get to see the best in humanity at that time, I guess, in a way. You sort of get to see those cracks in the shells. But if there's any kind of like family dynamics, I'm making air quotes. If there's a crack in the family at all, it just because of chasm at that point, you know, and it's just like, okay, here it is. <laughs> and, um, and, but it is one of those, like I've had families that have collected me. Like I don't get to leave their family, you go into people's homes. You, you see them at their absolute worst. And, and it is an interesting thing because it is where science and spirituality sort of have this gap and we have to just sort of be the guide in the place of where we have no answers. And yet I'm in scrubs. So I appear to be a medical professional. I did go to school. I do know what I'm doing and I understand intuitively what's happening, but I have no answers for people. And that's the first thing they're going to ask me. Is yeah. so, so, so they're declining and they're not talking to us and they're not eating anymore. So when are they going to die? 
I got nothing for you. (laughs) It seems as though these people are just like, oh my God, you're an angel. And I'm like, I just told you I have no clue what's happening. I think there is something to standing in the fire, standing in the place where there's no answers and it's really hard for people and just not flinching from it and not going, oh, this is so terrifying and running away because it is a very lonely place for people. It's horribly lonely and hard to go through and in, and that's why, again, there's hospice burnout and those kinds of things. And it is rewarding. I will say that. We love our job. Yeah. So what kind of stories have you got that you can tell us? I can tell you the funny stories. I can tell you the gross stories. I can tell you the freaky stories. Whatever you want to hear. <laughs> Ricky, please. <laughs> oh, see, because I was, I was actually going to say, um, as it's a comedy podcast, can you start with a comedy one? But, okay, freaky it is then. <laughs> Um, Okay, so basically I took care of this lady who had had a stroke um, and couldn't talk, couldn't uh, feed herself, non-responsive. Even the results of like the test said she couldn't hear even. She would always sort of stare off to the side of the room like her face and head never moved from that same position. And she always stared sort of like she was not really looking at you. There was no, like, she wouldn't follow you with her eyes or anything like that. So there was nothing behind there. So she was hooked up to tube feeding. Her family really never came, but she was in this nursing home. We were providing her, like, personal, they would obviously do the day-to-day stuff, but we would come in and do our nursing visits, symptom manage, all that stuff. And then during my visits, I would talk with her and say, you know, hey, look, it's sunny out or whatever it is, just because I'm chatty and I don't, I always wonder if they can hear, even though they say they can't. And then she declined. She had been on service for a long time, but she finally declined and was actively dying. And her family never came even then. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was sitting at bedside with her um, while she was dying. And it was close. You know, you could just, there's just signs and symptoms you can tell it's close. And it was, she was really close. And, she had, she was looking in the corner, top corner of the room. She had always kind of stared off to the side of the room at the wall almost. And she was actually like, you could see she was seeing something. Yeah. Uh, at that point, I was a very young nurse and a very, I don't know, different spiritual place. And I was like, so they're coming for you, which I'm still not sure and convinced that people don't come for us to make it an easier transition over. And I was like, they're coming for you, aren't they? And she turned her head, looked square at me in the face and said, yeah, they are. (laughs) Oh, wow. And I'm sorry, it sounds really like a cool story, but it scared the shit out of me. I beat feet out of that room so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Now I can see how that would be rather scary. I ran well, up to them. Should we just say deeply unnerving? But I mean, that's something. That's really something to hear. Yeah. And then I was like, did she just talk to me? She said, they're coming for her. And I came back in the room and she was gone. But I, you know, and then I was just like, now I look back and I'm like, damn it. I wish I could have asked her so many more questions. So many more questions for her. Um, but it was, it, that was probably the freakiest, scariest story for me personally. It was the scariest. I've had um, other near death experiences where people have called and said, as I did on call for like seven years, and you get to see all of it then. A guy had been given his pain medicine, he was declining. We put him on comfort meds, really. And he, um, he went to, he, his family called and said, he's awake this morning and he's hallucinating. 
something wrong with that medicine. You need to come out and talk with him. And I get out there and he said, there's three guys in suits standing next to you. And I can see him as clearly as I can see you. And I'm fucking crazy. Cause I know you, you they're not there. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't see him, but I'm, done arguing with people at that point. I, this was a lot longer in my nursing hospice career. And I was done arguing whether people were really there or not, whether it was hallucinations or what, if it was in that unexplained zone of like, I have no idea what's happening right now, but we're going to go with it. And so I said, well, did you, have, can you, have you talked to him? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so tell me. And he said, they told me <laughs> they know where Jimmy Hoffa's body is. <laughs> And that they're here to take me. And I was like, well, are you scared of them? And he was like, no. And I'm like, did they tell you where his body is? And he looked at him and he said, they said to tell you, you know, they can't tell you. Damn. <laughs> I was like, shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and <laughs> if he told you that could have been quite a big money spinner for you. I know. I know. And then he said, I said, are you scared of them, though? And he said, no. And I was like, okay. And he said, they said they could come back later if I wasn't ready yet. And I was like, okay, well, then have them just come back later. And he said, okay, they said they're going to. And I was like, can you ask them when? <laughs> and he was like, they said, you know, they can't tell you that. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so basically that anything that you wanted to know that they weren't gonna help well it's all these <laughs> questions of like i want confirmation of the like are they there or is he hallucinating and i'm joining him in this hallucinative trip or if they say they're gonna come back next saturday and he dies next saturday this this shit really happened and it's like nope it's gonna stay in the unknown yeah. to you and everyone else you know better and i'm like Damn it, but I want to know the answer to these questions too. Uh, <laughs> so those are those are the kinds of things that um as far as those near death, there's tons and tons of times that I've seen your answer coming. You need to go cook for them. And people see light at the time, you know, a bunch of lights in the room and weird movement in the room or think they see shadows in the room at the time that that person said their ants were coming and things like that. Um, or they were hallucinating last night and said, mom was reading to him. She's been dead for 30 years. And I'm like, yeah, mom might've been here reading. I'm not sure what happened. So, you know, it, it seems a bit bizarre to me because like if everybody's having the same sort of experience, it can't be completely and hallucinations in it that's what leads me to believe that's what leads me to say well, i can't tell you mom wasn't really here because if it was a one-off or if it was everybody that was on morphine or if it was everybody that had this disease yeah. it's not it's a a common universal human experience and whether that's our subconscious comforting ourselves as we're entering into this helpless state or if it's a real thing happening i have no idea <laughs> But because I remember when my dad was my dad was in the hospice mm -hmm. as well. It was a cancer <laughs> hospice. And um I remember my mum saying to me that my dad had a very similar experience as well. And he he didn't believe in um anything to do with 
the next life, right. so to speak, or, you know, like, you know, passing on. He had no clue what he would have been going into, you know, sure. at this point. But he, he did actually, you know, like he was sort of saying to my mum, you know, sort of describing things that he could see, you know, like his mum, you know, coming to get him mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yes, he was on, he was on morphine as well, but he was on morphine the whole time. So, and that was literally like an hour you know, a couple of hours before he actually passed away or even possibly the day, you know, the night before. So it it wasn't, there wasn't a big gap in between him saying what he was seeing to it actually happened, you know, him passing away. So, yeah, I kind of think that maybe there is something to it. But then we're never going to know until that day comes, are we? So No answers. (laughs) No, exactly. There's nothing that, that, that I can... That I can say, except I'm sitting here shaking my head, going, "Yep, seen it a thousand times over." Um, that 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 that's the case. That it that it happens just either just before they really start a massive decline, a really you know they can be up walking around and I saw my brother or I saw my uncle or my dad or my mom or whatever it was, and then all of a sudden they're actively dying a day later, and we're like, "Whoa, where'd that come from?" Or they it, they see them just before they die. Is this too too common for it to not be? There's something there, something. I don't know what it is, but something. Yeah. Well, I know when my grandfather he had several heart attacks during his life, but one of the, one of the heart attacks he had that really, really, I think you know, they flatlined him. Uh, from what I can remember being told, he ended up seeing all sort of dead relatives, like his favorite uncle, his mother, and his father. Mm-hmm. Um, in the room, he sort of said he was conversing with them. So uh, my view is there is something to it. There is something certainly going on. Zoom! (laughs) 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 Sorry. (laughs) I had thought like I had to lighten it slightly then. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, definitely. So, yeah, I, you know, obviously, sorry, James, I, I I didn't mean that in a disrespectful way to your story then at all. Worry not. <laughs> no, <good. laughs> so the, 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 so over there, your hospices are all inpatient units. Do they ever do hospice in the home? They do a care at home. Yeah. Where a nurse will go to, go to see them so that they can have, you know, they can have help at home type thing. They're not all necessarily called I'm trying to think. I don't think they're all necessarily called hospice nurses. I think it's... Oh, my friend is actually one, so I'm trying to think what she's... Do you know, James? Uh, not off the top of my head, but, I mean, obviously you are right. Generally, hospices are specific hospices, but you get, like, uh, home care people who will go in. Uh, okay. And various nurses who will go and care for people who were, you know, extremely ill, sort of getting towards the end of their life. But the general viewpoint when they, they feel somebody's getting towards the end of their life is they'll move into a hospice where it's possible instead of doing anything that's sort of home based. So they're giving respite care. Okay. Uh, respite yeah. care is more just the, situ- sorry, the situation of the, they have an extreme illness and it's to give the family a break and have somewhere where they can stay. The hospice, obviously, is the predominant focus on the end of life. But my understanding of it is, is that if they do believe you are coming to the end of your life and there is nothing that can be done about it, they'll move you into a hospice. Okay. 
and not look at caring you, uh, caring for you at home. It will be a specific hospice move. The other side of it is, is obviously if the patient is completely against the fact that they want to go into the hospice or whatever, then, you know, they still get their home care. You know, it's not, it's not taken away from them if, uh, if it is sort of end of life and they decide that they want to sort of pass away at home. But yeah, I agree with James that, you know, majority of the time it is going into a hospice of some form. Was the term an auxiliary nurse? Um, it was a carer, which in hindsight seems, <laughs> seems silly that I couldn't think of that word. <laughs> it's, it's a little different here. We have a hospice that goes to wherever the patient defines their home. So. Uh, okay. Under a bridge in a nursing home, um, apartment over a bar in their house, <laughs> uh, <laughs> any kind of place. Uh, let's see, my my friend went to a house that was a shack that with the floor the floor had a hole you could see the outside, and their electricity was a an extension cord run from the actual pole through a hole. A, 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 you could see the outside through the slats in the wall. And it was like a single oh hanging God. light. And I was like, oh, we're going to have to None make it of this call. shocks me. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. Uh, it, uh, it, does, it does sound like the basis of a horror flick, though, that yeah, one, doesn't it? and those people were really nice. <laughs> it's usually the people... Okay, so the setting of a horror flick is that shack. And then the people in the horror movie are the ones that are in the 5,000 square foot house with, you know, six bath bedrooms and three, four bathrooms. For whatever reason, those people seem to be, and I'm all broad sweeping generalizations are wrong, including this one. They seem to be the looniest of the loons for whatever reason. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like over here that, well, it's not necessarily over here, it's probably just in general, that you tend to find that the people like who are the wealthiest obviously with exception quite a few of them actually just walk around in like tatty clothes and things like that and it's almost like well hold on you can afford to you can afford all this stuff but they still walk around in their their tatty clothes cuz they want to kind of yeah. fit in i think it's also the fact that they probably feel they have nothing to prove Right. Yeah, yeah, right. probably. An interesting just uh, description. You you tickled me because I was thinking of something on that, which is, what's the difference between somebody who's say bonkers and somebody who's eccentric? <laughs> the simple answer is it's money. If you have a lot of money, you're eccentric. If you have no money, you're bonkers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I knew I kept you around for reasons, James. <laughs> Indeed, no comment. <laughs> that was a good joke. I liked it. <laughs> That's funny. What about a funny, uh, a funny story? So, funny story. I have a couple. I had a. Okay, we'll do funny. Haha. I, I, I would say, sign me up for this lady's death. I usually, when I'm talking with my friends, I'm like, sign me up for her death. I was care manager, case manager for a um, woman. She was in a nursing home. Her family was really involved. Um, so funny. Like I would go visit her and just absolutely roll over laughing. She was, she was hysterical. Um, just, you know, wheelchair bound. And there was a dog. One of the CNAs had a, a CMA, which was the, a med aid in the nursing home. He would hand out the meds. He had a dog that he brought and she was always, 
talking about the dog and they had a three-legged cat named Penny in the facility and she would crack jokes about that. (laughs) 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 And so she was just one of those like really great bubbly, like I remember her first and last name, if that tells you anything and can still see her face. And she was just one of those people. I came back to work on Monday and we have a report line and we were listening to the report and they were like, she passed away on Saturday at this time, went to this funeral home. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what happened? And so, um, cause it was clear out of the blue. And when I went to the facility, I was like, I can't, I didn't even get to say goodbye to her. She didn't do this normal decline thing. And they were like, girl, no, you do not understand this is what she did. She said she went to dinner. She was her normal self. She was like, I was the one in the room with her. She said, I was getting her ready for bed. She cracked a joke, handed me her dentures. She had gotten her in the bed. You know, she was like, she cracked a joke, handed me the dentures. I went into the bathroom. She and I were both laughing. I came back out and she was dead in the bed. (gasps) Oh, wow. (laughs) And I was like, that is not a bad way to go. (laughs) I think I'd quite like to go laughing to be honest. I think that's going to be the Brian Johnson way out. I don't think he would appreciate like being in a nursing home in the wheelchair with dentures, but the crack a joke and then yeah. drop dead. I, I think that's going to be his, um, his way. <laughs> yeah. His way of going. Definitely. <laughs> I, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Well, just saying when you talk about the ways you want to go, I don't take that view at all because my intention is that I'm going to live forever. Basically. <laughs> You, good <laughs> luck with that. Let me know how that works out. <laughs> Damn right. I don't want to live forever. <laughs> we we hospice folks have this weird, weird thing, I have to tell you, where we have the, you can't be, un, you can't have that thought process or have the, um, I'll just say that hospice is, if you're going to go into hospice work or in the death industry, funeral home, medical field even, it's really probably not a good place to work out your own mortality. You got issues with that. It's not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> And we just sort of like, it, like I said, we talk about death like she's sitting in the room with us having dinner. We're like, how are you today, death? Fine. Thank you. Yeah. So. It's a bit like, by the sounds of it, it's a bit like with what I currently do for a living, which I work with, with um, quite a lot of people who are, should we say, socially disadvantaged uh, and with many interesting behavioral quirks, should we, uh, should we say. But you find, and I, I can guarantee you will profound this with your job, that you, you end up developing an incredibly dark sense of humor. Mm, yeah. Very much yeah, so. Yeah, very, very much so. As, as a matter of fact, we always sort of look over our shoulders when we go out to eat just to make sure no one around us knows us or from that line of work. Because when we start cracking jokes, it is, we used to share the office with home health. It is completely irreverent and just really dark and... Home health is still in the, you know, they do a bit of palliative care, but they're really in the curative business. They, again, it's their line of business. If somebody dies, that is a sentinel event and a bad thing for us. If they die, we're like, check. And that's funny to us. It's not funny to everybody else. And so we would come out of our meetings and we would start talking about patients and telling stories and cracking up laughing. And we turn to our right and home health is staring at us like, you know, you can imagine this just look of mortification on their face. Like, I can't believe that you're in the healthcare business. Can't believe you're talking about people like that. And so 
we had to learn to stop talking about our people in the bullpen as we went take it to okay this is going to be dark ladies let's go to the back <laughs> <laughs> like sort of get a get a yeah. code you know have a good conversation yeah, yeah, yeah this i got a live one and it needs to be in the corner over here and they're like okay come on huddle up ladies so <laughs> i think also though in that kind of pro- uh, profession you need to have a sense of humor about things because that's going to be the thing that gets you through because for example if you're like a fireman or a fire person you know what they're referred to now you've got to keep a level head and to keep a level head with all the things type of things that you'd see I think you do have to have a bit of a a sense of humour, even if it's a dark sense of humour yeah. about it, just to keep you keep it ticking, basically keep you going. Yeah, it's 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 the the option is you either laugh at it or you end up picking the cotton out of a padded room in a rocking chair one day because that's about the level that you get. Yeah, and it is. Ext- I mean, dealing with you know any kind of population that's marginalised or any kind of population that nobody else wants to deal with or nobody else wants to talk about, nobody else wants to tell you these things. I mean, there are times where we go into a patient's house and the doctor hasn't even told them what's going on, that, you know, oh, really, he didn't bother to tell you that you have metastatic pancreatic cancer stage four and you're going to probably be dead in a week. That's that's now my job? Great. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not fair, is it? you know there's it's just it's it's hard and people avoid it and it's one of those things that we've sort of gotten used to having these conversations of like hi my name's audra we just met and um i'm gonna tell you a whole bunch of stuff that you don't want to hear and i'm gonna say a whole bunch of words that you haven't heard strung together before ever in your life in a 15 minute conversation like have you picked a funeral home you are aware that he's going to die that is the expected outcome. I can't change that. I mean, and and they're like, thank you so much. And I'm like, you realize I just gave you really bad news today, right? <laughs> like, you're aware that just happened. And they're just like, you know. Yeah, but I, it's probably the fact that you were actually open and honest with them that they're thanking you, isn't it? It truly Definitely. is. That, I mean, people just like, they don't want, they don't want it sugarcoated. They don't want just get the shit and just tell us you know when we we joke around we're like well i made a grown man cry today my job is done you know <laughs> well done friend well done <laughs> i can go home today i've made three grown men cry <laughs> stone-faced without blinking i'm laughing i'm laughing because i find that funny you're not funny that you made them cry but funny you know funny that it's like obviously the way you're saying it is really funny how we deal with it but yeah you kind of you feel really awkward at the fact that you laugh after it's like oh (laughs) but i mean you know and we're like and and i'll say it to patients faces too as they finish crying and i'm like okay you know because i and i've cried don't get me wrong people do not cry alone in my presence so we've all cried and i'm like well that was a waste of perfectly good makeup I've made a grown man cry. My job is done and I'm going to leave. And they are like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, this is the weirdest job I've ever had in my life. <laughs> okay, but the funniest, 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 funniest story is actually not a death story, but a dying story. Okay. I had a patient, we'll say, and it wasn't mine. Um, I was not a case manager at this time. I was the on-call nurse. And this is like, I have a three-volume set that I've written, not literally, but, you know, metaphorically in my brain of 
the shit they don't tell you that you're going to be doing in nursing school that you end up doing after you get out of nursing school. And so I get a phone call at about two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I've fallen. <laughs> and this is the wife of the patient, the wife. I don't know if you've seen the I've fallen and I can't get up commercials here in the States. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. okay so it reminded me of that. I've fallen and I'm thinking, but you're his wife. I, you're not my patient. Call 911. And she goes, and um, he's fallen and we can't get up. I'm wrapped in his catheter. Oh, no. <laughs> so he had a full catheter. And I'm like, what game of Twister were the two of you playing that <laughs> you ended up on the floor in his wrapped in his foley somehow like what is happening and i was like okay um okay and i've been to their house like this was a frequent on-call caller she was kind of a high maintenance person she was anxious for her husband and um so i knew where she was and i knew who she was um and so i was like their rooms are upstairs so how am i supposed to get in your house and i'm like okay so have you called non-emergency lift assistance? Maybe they could come and help get you off the floor. No, they're going to break the front door down. So do you have a hidden key somewhere that I can get into the house? No, but the laundry room windows open. You can just crawl through that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Um, is uh, the window because it's high up. Like I've been in your house. I know this is like a high window. She's like, well, there's a step stool in the backyard. So just go get the step stool, come in, and then I'll tell you how to turn the alarm off. And I'm driving over there. And this is, um, it's in the middle of the city, but it's one of those places that has like older homes from probably the 1910, 1920 era, solid built basement, beautiful old restored homes in this it's nice area, right? Okay. Um, and I'm thinking I'm about to break into someone's house in, um, at 3 AM that's about to happen right now. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow in my brain, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to go get that step stool and I'm going to crawl through this woman's window at three o'clock in the morning. I have to honestly say partially because I, I had to know how in the hell this happened. Like how in the hell did you end up on the floor in his catheter? I got to see this. Um, and so, <laughs> so I'm like, I pull the pull the, and, and partially cause I needed to help him get up off the floor. He is our patient, that kind of thing. But anyway, so I pull the ladder over there. This is a step stool. I get up in the window. I open it up. I'm on the phone with her. I called her back. I said, I'll call you when I get to your house. So you're not freaking out. Someone's breaking through your window. And she was like, no problem. And, and she made it seem like just use the back door. She made it sound so normal that I was like, yes, that is a good idea. So, <laughs> so I go get the step stool and crawl through her window and um, the alarm goes off. And she's like, oh, shit, I forgot I set the alarm. Okay, where's the, where's the keypad to the alarm? And she's like, now she's got her cell phone, but she doesn't have the house phone, which is where the alarm company is going to call to confirm. And she's like, the keypad is by the front door. So, you know, this is a house I, I know in the daytime somewhat been in it a couple times, but not through it. So I've got this flashlight out. I'm running through the house to the front door, poking the keypad in. And then the alarm company calls. So I'm like running to the fine. Where's the phone <laughs> over there? Get the phone. What's the code? Whatever it was, Eagle. Eagle. Okay. Then I go upstairs 
And I walk past in the hallway and I'm like, oh, there's my answer. She has sitting out on the, as I, you know, round these stairs, if you can picture it, come down this narrow wooden floored hallway of this older home. And on the, on the side of the hallway is a little table and there's a glass of whiskey, an amb- an Ambien bottle, and an Ativan bottle. And I was like, I have my answer. <laughs> it's to exactly how this happened. But now I have to go see this. And so my six foot tall gentleman is on the floor. And she truly is. It was like a figure eight wrapped around their four legs. And she's in her pajamas. He's in his. And she's like, oh, you made it. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. You heard the alarm go off. Of course I made it. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, yeah, you had a big an announcement. <laughs> You've been on the phone with me since I got here. You knew I was here. Um, and so anyway, she, she, so I untangled her. And, um, and she was like, well, he got up to go to the bathroom. And I was trying to help him. And I'm like, and you're drunk and you're high off your pills. And you mix the two of them together and you tried to help him and that turned out to this. And so I had to clean him up and get him settled and put her to bed and put him to bed. And I had to do the whole fall report and the whole bit. And I'm like, next time that you've had this and this and this together, how about you just let him run his chances of getting to the bathroom? And so we ended up getting him some equip- medical equipment so he wouldn't have to go all the way to the bathroom or use her help in any way. But it was one of those funny stories that we repeat over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Oh, you mean like breaking into somebody's house and mess to park at two 30 in the morning. I'm like, you know what? That's none of your business. We're not talking about that right now. <laughs> Probably a very good training tool for the new people. <laughs> yeah. It's the quickest way to get them. Just so you know, you will, these other jobs as described might be, <laughs> clipping toenails underneath a someone's breakfast table it might be breaking in entering it might be <laughs> they're like what? i i honest to god can relate to this because the things i deal with in my job there are oh good god the stuff that's so far removed from when you started what you should be doing wow <laughs> <laughs> can you can you share any of those stories, James? Um, please. Not not name names and things like that, obviously. Please, but. please, I want to hear them because then at least I can say yes. You feel okay, my well, I've been into properties where oh, how can I put it nicely? There are there are infestations of things. I've, I mean, there's one I mentioned to you, Gemma, where I had to go through a property, opening cupboards and drawers to find uh, escaped snake. <laughs> yes, I remember that story. <laughs> Been in properties. Well, within that same property, there were tarantulas everywhere, and I really don't like spiders. Though, and then I also had to end up taking a tank with boss monitor lizards in, and um, iguanas. And if if anybody knows anything about iguanas, they get quite upset when they're moved. They can also easily break the glass. Um, so I ended up having to take a tank with about three or four iguanas in it to a pet shop. These are not things you expect to have to do with your job. No. <laughs> You're like animal control. Oh, yeah. You get, I mean, I've seen other things that I will not go into that are pretty icky and disgusting. But, yeah, you name it, I've probably seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. And these are these are people who can't necessarily afford housing or food or whatever, but they have pets. Well, it's more people who just simply don't really have an ability to function properly. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was trying to figure out, like, okay, now I understand. 
Okay. No, but it is. It's also people who it's people who can't sort of function so well, but it's also people who are on the sort of lower end of the uh, societal spectrum. So you have some people who simply just can't afford things, and they're reasonably easy to manage. But then you, every once in a while, you get the people with extreme mm-hmm. mental health problems that you have to deal with, an ability to look after themselves properly. Uh, mm-hmm. And invariably what happens is the other services who should get involved are less willing to do so. Uh, housing is what I work in and you end up sort of falling back onto being the person who has to deal with stuff so I've been in property where I've seen well I'll be blunt human waste everywhere and Mm -hmm. all sorts of delightful things like that yeah yeah it's unfortunate. You should go back and listen to uh, episode 32, I think it is. James tells a story about uh, <laughs> poop getting covered in sprinkles. <laughs> God bless Sprinkle, you sprinkle. That. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, the words that I have said as an on-call nurse of, just save that in a baggie and I'll come look at it in a minute. <laughs> Use your imagination, but yeah, I've literally had to say, like, how much are we talking? Well, just, you know what, just save it. I'll come look and tell you if it's a problem or not. (laughs) Yeah. Also, going back to, like, when they've got home help in the UK, quite often they've got, like, a little key box, which um, the, like, the carer or nurse, whoever, they actually know the code to type it in so they can take the spec yeah that out. would be so handy except that we have people that were like they're not willing to do that or not able to do that and not yeah we the only time that we actually demand that they leave us a key someplace is if they live alone and have nobody else with them and the, that was with my um other other job we had that happen more so than the company i work with now they're like we can't do this here you got to find housing and they'll 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 help them you know, either get into a nursing home or find housing or find help that can come and stay with them or whatever. But for whatever reason, it's that's a genius plan and an easy solution to me not having to break into people's homes at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was what I was thinking because it's like the the agency. So um, we've got so many different like nursing care um, agencies in the mm-hmm. UK. They're the ones I think that fit yeah. the boxes. So it's 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 very secure, and it's only that right. agency that know the code. The, the yeah. code. Yeah, so it's you know it's a very secure way of you know like obviously the people it's it's not just under a mat you know so that any Joe Blogs could sort right. of pick it up and break into their house you know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. That seems a bit crazy that nobody. Well, I suppose is it available or is it just that not available at all it would be some okay it would it would be something that our agency would have to actually purchase and that would that would incur cost Uh, so right okay (laughs) there's a few things that we have like um we have a couple of medication safe lock boxes if we feel like diversions happening that we'll check those out to people but i've had people take an axe to that box while I'm st- like take mm. it out to the back and they're taking an axe to it and I'm like yep I'm out of here bye guys see ya <laughs> um and so yeah there's it's different it's a little di- I think that they would it's a brilliant idea and it is brilliant truly brilliant um but they'd have to pay for that so James I think me and you need to think of a plan on how to solve all of America's problems with this keyboard <laughs> 
I can I can hook you up with. There's like 90 hospices in the state of Oklahoma because our our laws for getting a hospice open is so loose. I could make you buku bucks here in Oklahoma. Yeah, we could be we could be like Del Boy and uh, Rodney. Mm, yeah, <laughs> we'll be millionaires by the end of yeah. <laughs> um, do you do you have only fools and horses in the U.S.? Do we have what? Say what? There's a TV program in the UK which is called Only Fools and Horses. Oh, no. Uh, it's Well, it's brilliant. It's typical British comedy. Yeah, it's been going... Well, it's it's not it's not um, recorded now because the, the people that, you know, were the actors that are in it, they're in their, like, what, like 80s for one of them? I don't know. I'm trying to work out how old David Jason is. But, um, yeah... It's it's uh, like a sitcom type program, but it's a comedy one, and uh, yeah, always at the end of, you know, like the end of their series, they were always uh, or season in your case, they were going to, uh, they always said something along the lines of, you know, that we were going to be millionaires this time next year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what I was I referencing. Got it. So I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if you ever get like, oh, I don't, it, over in the UK, it's, it's aired on a channel called Comedy okay. Gold or Gold, I think it is. So yeah, if you get chance, if you, you know, if there is chance of you able to watch it, maybe give it a shot if you like British comedy. So I do, I do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I will. I'll check it's it very, out. It's a very silly, very, very silly. <laughs> well, as yeah, you know, so. I'm, I'm kind of into the silly stuff. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're talking to us, so you must be. <laughs> yeah. I have a couple of others that I was thinking of. Um, I have. Rem- what about spooky? Have you got any spooky ones or the spookiest? The spookiest stories that I have, I would say, were they're they're more like I've had a couple where, and oddly enough, it's usually. The, the clergy, <laughs> um, priests, okay. nuns, pastors, ministers, they get freaked out. And I had one lady who saw, who just was mortified. She was terrified. And I went to go see her and she was like, do you not see it? Do you not see the faces? And she was saying there was like a wall with these faces and this fire. And I was like, no, I, I don't. God, I don't see that. Um, And that had to be horrendous for her because obviously being, you know, highly religious. And what was seeing flames flames and faces (laughs) and people trying to get her in the flames. I was like, what ninth circle of hell and Dante's Inferno? Which circle are you in and get out? Like, find Virgil and run, please. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Are you a bad nun? Right, right, right. right. What's worse is she was like, her daughter was a minister, her son was a minister, and and they were like, she taught Sunday school, she's the reason we have faith in God, and here she is being tormented at the nth hour, like she's got some sort of spiritual crisis going on, and so then they started having a spiritual crisis, and it was like, I need a chaplain. I'm ill-fitted to do this. I don't know what I'm doing here. So somebody needs to come help me <laughs> like now. Because <laughs> all I've got, all I've got, 
Yeah, all I've got is, a, is is to get an order for Haldol and sedate everyone, like just aerial spray Haldol in the room. So the family's sedated, she's sedated. <laughs> yeah, I think the medical director was like, dude, can you can you get an order for Haldol blow dart so you don't even have to go back in there? You can just like one through the through the <laughs> through the doorway and hit them all. <laughs> So, yeah, that's about the only thing that really that I've had that was truly spooky. Um, I've had scary as in like deliverance kind of scary a couple of times, two times and two times in 20 years. That's not bad. A tenth of the tenth of the time. Right. Did, did you say that's deliverance it. scary like the film with uh, Burt Reynolds? Uh-huh. Yeah, that kind. <laughs> oh, God, do tell. Go on. <laughs> I was going to say, I haven't actually seen that film, so, um, yeah. Just... Were you told you had a real pretty mouth? <laughs> right, yeah, I've had that, oh God, I had a guy grab, try, he, I walked in and they were like, he's handsy, and I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not in the mood today, and I walked in and I, I you know, just imagine like sort of Clint Eastwood kick the door down, and I looked at him and I said, listen to me, you put your hands on me, you say something inappropriate, you and I are not going to be friends. And I'm the one that's going to get the orders for your comfort meds. And I'm not threatening you. I'm just explaining that this is how this is going to go. You better start treating the nursing staff with some respect. And you better not even think about putting your hands on me. He's like, I like you. You remind me of your my daughter. And I'm like, cheese and rice. You got to stop this, man. <laughs> and and yeah. so I've had, I've had handsy a few times. But that's pretty much how I handle it is like, come on, man. But the the one that the two that are deliverance special, I had um, a, a lady that we had both the husband and wife on service. I went into the house and the the, the woman had died. Um, it was her daughter's house and they had all 17 kids, not literally, but there were like a lot of kids and grandkids. Let's just say that. And okay, so the whole fam, uh, so a whole family of the fam family showed up for the death. Grandma died, and everybody came over, yeah. which happens. I've seen it happen more than once. Um, but there were the 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 husband, the wife lived in the daughter's home. The daughter was there raising the grandkids and that kind of thing. So it's just one of those. A lot of people in the house in general on our visits anyway. But when she died, the whole rest of the fam family came. Um, and so when I, now imagine this is like 1030 at nightish. This is dark in a neighborhood. I don't care where it was. It wasn't a bad neighborhood. It wasn't a great neighborhood. It was just a neighborhood in the middle of Oklahoma. And I walk in and I open the front door and dad is sitting next to the door sleep. And this is sort of a long house. So the living room is in front and there's an add on bedroom where grandma was. And there was a hallway that shot down that 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 went led to the other bedrooms that you could see and you could go into the kitchen. You could see it was just a narrow hallway. So you could just. OK, so I walk in. Granddad's sitting there sleeping, dad. And then there's a long living room table <laughs> and a couple of the kids were sitting there cleaning their guns. We just. Which is my typically God. what I do when my grandmother dies. I just whip out my weapons and start cleaning them. 
<laughs> Do you know the thing is, is uh, I was thinking actually, I probably, I reacted like, oh my God. Um, but I don't know, is it oh my God in uh, America? Because it's quite common to have guns, isn't it? So it is, it is so common to have guns that we have to say, do you have guns when we do an admission? Are you going to use them on our staff? Do you, do we need to worry about them? You know, I mean, it's so common that I don't even flinch if there is a shotgun in a bedroom of a dying patient at all. Like it's like, man, man, man. he went hunting. There's a shotgun. That was a double barrel. That's nice. Nothing at all. It is bizarre to walk in and have someone actively cleaning like six weapons or sitting on the, on the, I'm like, what in the blue hell are y'all doing? Like now, now we're going to clean the What's up? I say maybe it was cathartic for them. <laughs> I'm guessing, yeah, you know, it is kind of a repetitive thing when you clean a gun. So maybe, I don't know. It was just add, add that to the bizarre factor of like, okay, this could potentially get out of hand quickly. Um, and then the pregnant, I walk in. So grandma's room is, like I said, on an add-on. So it's just a little square room awkwardly built to the side of the house that looks like it should have been a porch, but it was screened in with windows. And there was a door to it. And there was a door to that weird little hallway that went down to the rest of the rooms and the kitchen. And I walk through and people are cleaning, cleaning guns and kind of fussing at each other in the background, which, you know, sometimes people die, weird things happen to families. So, um, and then as I'm walking into the room, I see one cousin grab his pregnant girlfriend and shove her up against the wall and has got his finger in her face. And I'm like, okay, that's strike two. I'm yeah. My my comfort level is reaching a new height of I don't like this at all. <laughs> um, uh, and then I walk in and and the daughter's there and she was really nice. Um, she really was. She was a nice lady. And I um, you know, I'm like I this this I'm so sorry. And you know you got to you have to do the whole listen thing. You know because we have to report the vital signs have ceased. And so I do my little look and listen and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And the 14 year old grandson comes in and he's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm sorry, sweetheart. She's your grandma's gone. And he was like, no, she's not. And I'm like, I look at the mom and the mom looks at me like, tell him. And I'm like, okay, listen, you can come and listen to her. She's gone. I'm I'm telling you. And he's like, if you fucking tell me that my grandma's dead one more time, I'm going to shoot you in your face. Oh, my God. And I was like, I think we're done here. Got my bag and I walked right out the front door. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yep, my God, three, we're done. <laughs> I'm, starting, I'm really starting to think you and I might be doing the same sort of job, <laughs> just with slight variance. <laughs> exactly. You just sort of go. <laughs> And so I went back out to my car and I called the police and I was like, listen, you're going to have to come attend this death because I'm not going back in there <laughs> like ever, ever again. <laughs> and so they came, I had to sit out in the car and wait and the police came and I was like, but he's a DNR. We don't need to do the whole lights and sirens and the whole like ambulance and the ME and all that other crazy stuff. Just you attend the death. And he was like, no problem. About three units showed up and he was like, he came, they went in and did their thing. And then they came back outside and I was like, I'm leaving. And he was like, yeah, you can go. Okay. So I left and that was pretty much the end of that. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I've, I know one of um, the chaplains 
that I at the place that I work with now said that he years and years and years ago he said the most terrifying thing that he ever experienced was he was actually um, asked asked to attend an exorcism. <gasps> Father Lance, <laughs> Father Lance, yeah. <laughs> I've got his Skype details. Should we uh, put maybe, him in? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, there wasn't. There weren't yeah. a lot of details that he gave to the story. He just said it was the most terrifying thing he ever witnessed. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but he actually attended attended the. Um, the actual exorcism. So, just so that listeners know, it wasn't Father Lance. No, it was, <laughs> was not it? Father yeah. Lance, as I have never met Father Lance in person. Um, no, it wasn't him yeah. that did that. He, he, no, 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 it wasn't. No, because, um, yeah, I vaguely remember him saying, well, he's available to do them, but he hasn't actually done one yet. But ne- as soon as he does, oh my God. I, I know, want to speak right? To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We want to hear as much detail as you can give yes (laughs) yeah 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 definitely and i don't want him to save it all for like tell him steve dave all about talking exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, tell him steve dave get enough audio enough people listening (laughs) right that's right we want the exclusive here um yeah. Yeah. So the only other <laughs> the only other deliverance type story, I know I had another one that I was thinking of. It didn't involve guns. It'll come back to me eventually. I know there's there's like a standard few that I have that I kind of go, "Wow." Oh, meth. It involved meth. Yeah. I knew it involved something. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, everybody's favorite thing, meth. Yes, her- actually <laughs> he actually graduated from meth to heroin and he was his story ended, his, his ended pretty well though. But, um, I got a call that I had a patient that was in a pain crisis and so went out to see him and his caregivers were deaf. They couldn't hear. Um, he was living in their house and he was friends of theirs somehow. I don't know how he knew them, but, um, he was living in their house. And when I pulled up, I had actually done, um, his admission check, like tuck in visit. He was admitted in the hospital, but I had to do an assessment at his house And so I had been there and, and the doctor had told us, you know, he has a history of drug abuse, so we need to really count the medications and keep a good count on him. So I'd counted his meds the day before. And so I come trolloping in the house, be bopping in his room and I round the corner and I walk in and I immediately do a break and took about, try to take a step back. And there was already somebody standing in the doorway. And the reason I, I, you go into houses, James, so you probably do this like quick survey of where are my exits, how many exits do I have? Is there someone between me and the exits? Do you have that like moment? James? Oh, did we lose him? I don't know. James, are you there? <laughs> right. James! <laughs> James, oh James, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually quite good as a British accent, I have to say. Um, no, he has got I'm a tendency back. to cut out. Oh, you're I'm back. Oh, hello. Yeah, I heard. Sorry, I had to leave the room for a minute. You were saying about, obviously, was it doing like safety checks before you go into properties and checking all the exit points, parking your car in a certain position, uh, <laughs> speaking to people, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. So you do those, you do those safety checks when you like, you can always tell the home health and hospice patients because there's like tire skid marks on the curb outside their house. I refuse to park in a driveway. It's never going to happen. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Cause you could be blocked in. Couldn't you oh, easily? I've been blocked in by family members where I've wanted to leave before. And I'm like, Oh, I don't like this. Well, blocked in, in a, in a sinister way or just because the family members are a bit dim and they've parked. No, um, not in a sinister way, truly, but in a like, I'd like to leave this house and it was highly uncomfortable anyway. And now someone's parked behind me and I have to go back in and tell them to move their car because they didn't know who they're parked behind. Oh, yeah. Never. But then, you know, it only takes one time for that to happen for me to go, okay, I'm never going to park in the in the driveway again, because if I do get trapped in a house where I could get stuffed in a closet, I don't want to be trapped behind a car, too. So, you know. Yeah. I think yeah, I think that's understandable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> safety first and all that. You've got you've got things to get home exactly. to. <laughs> right. yeah. no, no one ever wants yeah. to end up the person in the closet or the trunk of a car. So yeah, that's sort of a general no. check mark for all of humanity. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna go out and do good today, and hopefully not end up in the trunk of a car. Yeah, that's that's generally how I start my day. Um, <laughs> If we all set the bar with like, this day sucked, but at least I didn't get trapped in a closet or you know, locked in a closet or locked in a trunk, right? You're good. It's not a yeah, bad no, day. Uh, that's the sort of view I have to take on things. Just as long as nothing truly horrendous happens, you're all right. <laughs> it's a good motto of life, really, it is. isn't it? It's not bad. It might be the name of this episode as well. <laughs> Don't get trapped in a closet or trunk. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So I, I do this like you, when you're walking through the house, James, do you do that whole like, well, there's a possible exit point. There's a window there I could jump out of if I needed to. There's a possible exit there. If I go, get trapped there, I could go that way. And it's not really a conscious thing. It's just that you immediately sort of zone, you know, scan the house and know where your exit points are. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And you also find yourself doing it just looking up and down streets to see easy points of ac- uh, of exit and access, basically. Yeah, exactly. all that kind of stuff. It's a weird thing. And then you also, like, sort of scan the hallways as you're going through houses. You're like, let me look at these pictures of these people on the walls just in case one of them shows up so that I know they're actually family and supposed to be here and not a threat of any kind. Or maybe they are a threat and I need to know. <laughs> I'm just curious with the both of you, actually, if you weren't going into a house or into that area, but you were just walking down the street, um, you know, like just walking down the street in general, would you still have that mindset? Yes. That you would yeah, be thinking. Yeah, to a degree, yeah. Those things, things do kick in. Oh, Certainly wow. I find myself more attuned to sort of, what you would consider to be, to be potentially dangerous situations. And my brain's always running on how to diffuse things if I need to do it. So Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. And that's part of looking at the family photos is sort of like, can I use any of these as a way to like simmer this to a, you know, get this boil to a simmer? Is there any way that I can like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like a paranoid, I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm always, but I mean, it's just, I've, I, you do, I've done it personally, me for, for so long that it is a second nature thing. I can walk into 
a friend's party and I'm still going to be able to tell you, you sit me down and I'm still going to be able to tell you where my access points are in the house. There's a back door over there. There's a door over there. There's a, I get, there's a bathroom. Then the wind, by the way, there's a, do- there's a window in the bathroom so I can actually run to the bathroom, shut the door and get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. It's it, like I'm I'm living it sort of like obviously living such a sheltered life because it was like I'm just sitting here thinking I've never once felt that. Nope, I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you, Gemma. You are sheltered from all this. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I, I'm gonna keep it that way as well. <laughs> you, yeah, the only the only bad thing you can get with order processing is a paper cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, but I did, um, I went into that room and then I, I, like I said, I stepped into the room and I was like, and then I took a step back and it wasn't like I took a a big enough step back to get back into the doorway, but I immediately knew there was somebody behind me. And then I was like, shit, because this was a small room. It wasn't a tiny room, but it was a small room, no other exit except the window. And that was on the other side of the patient's bed. (laughs) And I was in a room with a patient in a low bed. With one, two, three, four, five, six other guys. Oh, God. And I, I immediately look at him. I kind of scan the room at these guys. I look over at the at the pill bottle that was full the day before that now has about eight pills in it that I can tell has about eight pills from across the room. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, that's distinctively lower than it was yesterday. Son of a, what did I do? You know? And so then I have to play it off like I'm completely comfortable in this situation, (laughs) which James, I'm sure you're like, yeah, I've done that too. Like, this is totally normal. This is an everyday thing that I have to do. Um, Oh yeah. You just become desensitized to stuff and the amount of crazy stuff you have to deal with that in no shape or form anybody would ever see as normal. (laughs) Exactly. And I also looked at him and I knew, um, because again, we have that patient report line. So we report, you know, Hey, I did lab on so-and-so today. We should get the results tomorrow in case somebody gets sick, they can look for the results. And so I knew my friend had drawn labs on him, but I also knew my friend well enough to know if she missed on him, she would have had to tell, she would have left on there. Hey, I drew labs on so-and-so I had to stick him twice. Cause I missed the first time. Why we tell each other these details is, for instance, is like this. I walk in and he's got two Band-Aids, both one one in the bend of the arm there by your elbow and on the other arm. And I'm like, she didn't say she stuck him twice. And I'm like, oh, damn. And, you know, and he's sitting there and he's sweating and he's shaking and he's in horrible pain, quote unquote. And he's this, he's that. And I go over and I take his vital signs and I'm like, hey, guys, let me just. Um, step out real quick. I need to make a phone call, see what I can do. Oh, and the other part that I missed was that when I walked into the room and the guy stepped behind me and I stepped back as I'm scanning, the guy goes, oh, good. The girl with the medicine is here. And I'm mm. thinking, exactly. Warning sign number one. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, um, we don't carry yeah. drugs, just so you know. <laughs> Those get delivered, not by me. Um, and I don't have them on my person at all. Um, and so, <laughs> so I was like, let me get through here guys so i can go make this phone call let me call a doctor and see you know what we can do for him get him some some meds and of course get him some meds was the magic open sesame seize parted of these gentlemen to let me out so i could make my phone call and i get outside and i called the first person i called was my friend and i'm like hey did you stick him twice and she was like i I said hey how many times did you have to stick so-and-so for the labs one time and i'm like 
shit, click. <laughs> I just hung right up on her. And then I called the medical director who was his doctor. And I was like, listen, this is what's happened. And this is what's going on. And he was like, please tell me that none of your shit is in that house. And I was like, I fucking left my bag in the room. And he was like, Audra, <laughs> stay on the phone with me and keep saying, uh-huh. And answering my questions, take your ass back inside that house and get your damn bag. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> so I walk in and I'm, uh-huh. No. Yeah. No, he's, he's pretty sweaty, but he's not running a fever. Uh-huh. And he's like, have you got your bag yet? Yes, I do. Are you out of the room yet? Not yet. Keep walking. Okay, I can do that. You know, <laughs> so keep on going. And I get outside the house and he was like, get in your, get in your car and walk away. And I swear to God, if you ever leave your damn bag inside, when something like that happens again, I'm going to kill you myself. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, can I just... I can relate to this. This is all. This all seems disturbingly familiar. <laughs> You're like just another day at the job, right? <laughs> another Pretty day much, at the yeah. office. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's just a normal day of work from the way you're describing it. Yeah. Going to places, having to get out. Yeah. The way the, the one you also that I suddenly get in my work is when someone's pretty agitated, violent, and threatening, but wants to talk to you about something. Oh gosh. Like what? Say it, 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 as an example. It can be things like, for example, well, when I was I was covering on somebody else's area and this guy was really agitated and getting really worked up and basically wanted to talk about something that hadn't been repaired and sort of going right off on one, getting very in my face and threatening. But I managed to calm him down. Then he calls chips and he goes, oh, well, I've got like extreme mental health problems, so I'm sorry I've been a bit sort of aggressive with you. You're like, oh, no problem. I generally enjoy people getting in my face and threatening me. No problem. A lot of them seem to want to start. I'm pretty tall, so a lot of them seem to want to start fighting with me. Oh, great. How tall are you? Uh, six foot two and a half. <laughs> the half is important. Well, the half is important if you're five, four and a half, you see. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I have to say that when you are that short, climbing through a window is not a problem because you are an expert climber. You've learned how to climb all your life because you have to to get anything out of the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see, though, that because you are tall, they seem to think that I guess it's that, is it that whole like loop of like, oh, he's bigger than I am. So I have to show him that I'm the, like, I have to go key on his leg. Alpha dog. Knows. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's either a dominance thing where they think they can, they can do, they, they want to do that. Or they've got like, you know, short little angry man syndrome and they feel they have to prove something in relation to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh they're just nuts. You know, they're just nuts and violent and th- the only way they know to, how to interact with people is to threaten, scream, and shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um to me though. It's like obviously having known you, you know, a bit more throughout this podcast. It's kind of like you to me. You just seem like quite a docile type person. So you know, it's <laughs> I can't imagine ever anyone getting in a fight with you. But then you know, correct me if I'm wrong. If you get into fights all the time, that'd be interesting to hear too. <laughs> Yeah, bare-knuckle fist fight on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's like Fight Club, <laughs> but you never talk about it. <laughs> but my brother used to have the same thing because he uh, 
I think he's like six foot as well. He was quite chunky as well. So it's like people would look at him and think, oh, you know, you're kind of like, you know, a tough, uh, a tough person, you know, get, I'm going to get in a fight with you. But he was just, yeah, he he's also very much the same, that he was just like very placid, you know. Well, he still is. He's still very kind of like a puppy dog. Really, yeah, I was about to say the way you, the way you're describing us both, you make us sound like Labradors. <laughs> well, my brother is definitely, and yeah, I, I don't know you quite well enough yet, <laughs> but my brother is, and he wouldn't mind me saying that anyway because he is like that. So James is like, but, I take offense. I'm a Labradoodle. Get it right. <laughs> God damn right. That's a more Irish wolfhound. but the thing is like with my brother you wouldn't like when he's like serious that he wants you like when he's angry you wouldn't want to fight him you know like it doesn't happen very often but when he's really angry you kind of just go "Ah, i'll I'll be over here (laughs) (laughs) so yeah yeah. but yeah it doesn't happen very often like i said though (laughs) oh (laughs) Have you got any more stories? Because I've I've been sat here fascinated by your stories. I've been sitting here like nodding and nodding and sort of, you know, like going, wow, this is amazing kind of thing. (laughs) But also not really contributing anything to the podcast myself. So I mean, I I could sit and tell these kind of, I mean, I have on call funnies, like people call and I I can give advice. The number one thing that you want to do when you call an on call place is not to, to scream at someone's in an aggressive or passive aggressive or any kind of way like i need you here right now it's not good that's not that's not the best way to wake someone up at three o'clock in the morning just as a general rule for anybody who's listening (laughs) yeah is that is that because they're panicking or is it because they're demanding it generally the people who are panic stricken are like i don't know what I need your help. That's usually what I get when, but the people that are here that are like, I want you here right now are usually the ones that are just demanding generally. Yeah. That again is the generalization is not, there are exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, it's, you know, I expect you to teleport to my home because that's what I want you to do. So, yeah, we're, we're paying you money for this service or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. The government's paying your paycheck and we demand that you appear. And it generally is um, people who are accustomed to buying services and getting whatever it is that they want. So it's generally that population, I'll say. <laughs> yeah. They tend, yeah. tend to be the ones that are like, I want you here right now. I can generally go, mm, there's about four neighborhoods you probably live in. And sometimes I'm wrong, but usually I'm right. <laughs> I don't ever mind going. And I would, I always felt worse if I would get a call or we would be listening to a report and somebody would say like on a Monday, like, oh, they had a horrible night last night, but they didn't want to bother anybody. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, I was, I was watching the Thunder game last night. You know, like I got paid to watch basketball. I don't know why you didn't call me. <laughs> like that whole like weird 
like, I'd much rather be out working and doing what I'm here to do. I would much rather answer a call than have somebody be upset and need something and just not quote unquote, not want to bother somebody. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, but unfortunately, yeah, because it's so annoying, isn't it? Because those are the people that actually probably do need the help. And then you've got the time wasters that are, uh, (laughs) you know, constantly calling. Exactly. Ringing the phone off the hook going, I need you here right now. Nope. You don't. I promise you don't need me there because, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I promise you really don't need me there. You got everything there that you need. I promise. So but it's and it's really hard because it's really scary. And a lot of people have never gone through anything like that. So I get it. But yeah, and I never I never minded being woke up at three o'clock in the morning with, you know, anything. So it doesn't it doesn't ever that part didn't bother me. It was the, the demanding peacocking. I don't know, sort of servant status level. I'm better at this than you are kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're uh. here you're here for my service. Like you're here and I am there in service to our patients and their families, but when you treat me as though I am a servant, it is a different thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in in oh, I get that. Yeah. In service and being a servant are two totally different things. So <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so we've got do not contact you. Uh, well, no, not do not contact you, full stop. But do not uh, do not say I need you now. Is there any other tips that you, you should give people? <sighs> no, I don't think so. That's pretty much that's the only thing. That's about the only thing. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I, I, I honestly um, don't take access to, you know, safes because they won't open. Really, they won't. Our medication, yeah. our medication lock boxes, they're not going to open with uh, an axe. They've been tested. I'd like to hope that my listeners wouldn't take an axe to a. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you never know. Well, I would hope, but just in case, you never know who somebody might stumble upon it. <laughs> yeah, like, you never oh, know. Give this a listen. Yeah, no, that're about the only thing. So yeah, you you never gonna get. I can tell you exactly how you were getting to things like that, but obviously. Uh, we're not going to broadcast that, but an axe will never do. It. No. <laughs> but the, the thing you were just saying then about how you treated the one I always work on is this. It's a bit of a twofold thing, but I always try to think, well, if it was me, how would I want to be treated? Sure. And you, I try and always think that because if I'm, you've probably found this too, that if somebody's in a really hysterical, difficult position, they are going to get abrupt, they are going to get pretty bit bullshit with you but i was trying to reverse and think if i was in this awful position what would be going through my mind and then trying to think this is probably why the person's having a go with you but the flip side of the coin is when someone's being a complete arse to you you basically just think well you know you're not going to get response from from the person the correct response are you they've been really nasty to you you're not going to want to help them to the absolute utmost of your ability yeah, and that's that's the difficult position to to kind of be in and and it's one of those things where if you've got somebody who you've repeatedly stated you do understand that you know the on-call position is a triage position we're going to come to like who needs us the most at that particular moment and there's two of us cover 150 mile radius here and you know if somebody dies I need to go take care of that patient and family before I come over here and may and give medicine that's actually in the cabinet for you to be able to give. That's the thing, you know, and it's like, you've been explaining that and you've been explaining that and you're still calling and saying, I want you here right now. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I, I have you on my list. I'm going to get, nope, now, no, that's not going to happen. You know, 
Yeah. I'm curious as well, actually, being that you're a nurse, are you quite a good patient? I'm the worst. Yeah. Problem is, is that we know too much. Yeah. And because we know too much and we expect to be the answers to our questions that may or may not have answers and things like that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's one of those, like my doctor prescribed a medication for me. Um, I, I have my back issues, so I have general pain management type meds and I know they're not the max total dosage for the day. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm like, well, I have this so I can take one and a half of them because I can take four of those. So I could take another one and a half of those. And that actually is the max dosage for this medicine. So instead of taking one, four times a day, I will take one and a half in the morning, one and a half in the afternoon and one in the after, you know, and, 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 and I walk in and tell them this is how I'm taking it. And they're like, okay, <laughs> fine with us. Yeah. Cause you could tell me not to, but I'm going to. So now what? <laughs> but then, but then if a patient did that to you, would you be like, I no, you're not allowed. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. This is, this is the, I'm going to get on my, my speech box. Cause I have certain like boxed speeches that I tell people. This is the way that the medicine is recommended that you give it. The maximum dosage of this medication is this much. These are the signs and symptoms for these medications. Mm. This medicine is now in your home. I always tell people also, you know, the doctor has prescribed this medication. And morphine is a big word, you know, that carries a huge stigma. Um, I had a 103-year-old patient one time tell me, I didn't want to go with hospice because I thought hospice was the women in black who came to read to you until you died. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. I'm like, well, I don't wear black scrubs. I, now, what's funny is that the place that I work at mandated black scrubs. I'm like, you mandated black scrubs. I would drive a black car. We're hospice, for God's sake. I mean, we could just write the jokes, like just start writing the jokes themselves. Like, seriously? Um, and all that came back to me was that patient saying, I'm like, I now am the woman in black who comes to read to you when you die. I mean, like, that's who I am. <laughs> Um, and so, <laughs> like, I swear I'm not, but I now feel like I am. Yeah. There's morphine has a huge stigma. Hospice has a huge stigma that, you know, we're here to just medicate you until you die. I can't tell you how many times they're just going to give you medicine, make you go to sleep. And they're just going to keep you giving you medicine and not feed you until you die. I'm like, yeah, that's what we do. That's what I do all day, every day. That's me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I would say, you know, they're having these signs and symptoms. This may, this medicine may help. That's what it's here for. I understand you're not comfortable with it. You don't have to give it if you don't want to. You know, you can try this instead. You can try that instead. You can try this instead. But if they get to the point where, and usually there's a tipping point and families will know when it is, where their suffering outweighs your fear. Yeah. For It's here for you. You know, yeah, and that's that's all I can do. If they don't want to use it, I don't. My ego is not caught. I'm like, whatever, do whatever you want to, because at the end of the day, that patient's going to be fine. They're going to be gone. Their 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 life is going to be just fine. You're the one that's going to be left here with the questions of what if I had done this or what if I had not done this. You have to sleep with what you do or don't do at night. I don't have to. I go home. I sleep just fine. 
I sleep just fine. So I can tell you these things, but you have to be okay with what you're doing. And I can't make that call for you, for anybody. And it's different for everybody. So depending on what they're comfortable with or not. So I don't have that whole, like, there are a lot of doctors and nurses that are the worst that are also very much like, these are the orders and you're supposed to do this. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't care what you do. I don't have to live in your body and walk around with that. And at the end of the day, they're the ones that are left here with the memories of what happened. I am not going to be there with that. I'm not, my time here with you is limited, you know? So that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like, they're going to die either way. <laughs> you know, you yeah. just, you have to be okay with the, what that looks like. I don't Yeah, I don't And how have. much comfort they're in. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if they're uncomfortable and you're comfortable with them being uncomfortable, it's not my call. You're an asshole. <laughs> right. I don't have to like it, but it's not my call. Like, I don't have to. And I don't think people necessarily are assholes that do that. There's usually some deep-seated, real weird reason why people do that kind of shit. And I'm just like, Man, that's, you know, you, you look at them and you're like, that's cold blooded, but it's not, it's really just like, it's, it, there's a reason they're acting that way. There's a reason they're doing it. And at the end of the day, the, that person's going to die. I mean, I hate to sound cold about it, but that person, <laughs> their, their, their loved one is going to die. And if they're okay with like, I did not give them any morphine, if that's something that they can hang their hat on at the end of the day and be proud that that's what they did and feel okay and sleep well at night, I don't care. You know, I don't, it, I'm sorry for the other person that's in the bed that had to not be medicated more comfortable on their way. You know what I mean? But, and that's a rare thing. Usually, yeah. like I said, there's usually a tipping point of the discomfort versus, versus fear, you know? Where a family member will finally just be like, I can't take it anymore and give them the medicine, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, because like, people just want to do the best yeah. for each other, don't they? But then at the same time, they don't understand that they mm -hmm. have to give the medication for it to be the best way. Yeah, and we, we usually will tell them things like, you know, and it's true, people generally have a harder time to die if they are in pain. And usually if somebody gives them them, you know, and it's usually that story of like, well, they gave my grandma her, her morphine at home and then she died. And it's because they gave the morphine notes because she finally got comfortable enough to die because it's harder to die when you're in pain, man. <laughs> and they're like, oh, and I'm like, just, you know. Yeah. And those are the kinds where I like give the medicine and then I'm like, please don't die in the next two hours. Please don't die in the next two hours. <laughs> they're gonna swear i just gave this medicine and it killed you they're gonna swear it it didn't happen but they're gonna swear it you know so i see that a yeah. lot. <laughs> i think personally that's a good place to end the episode there you know we started with death we had a bit of fun in between and we've ended with death i think that's a good call <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full circle. Full circle. <laughs> full circle, indeed. So, but before we go, did you want to give your Twitter details so that if anybody who doesn't know you might follow you or, you know, follow you down a dark alley or. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go down the dark alley. There's no way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm still, what am I? At uh, Audra underscore nurse, A U D R A underscore nurse. And for this podcast, Twitter, it's 
at CodsWalletPod. I'm also on Instagram now as well. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing with it, but I'm learning. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, fun times. <laughs> I got I got a message uh, from my friend Shani just saying you just put a picture up and then put a comment and I was like oh that's that's actually really easy. <laughs> <laughs> James, did you want to give your Twitter handle? Come on, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. Shall I look it up again? <laughs> You're gonna have to. I know it's H O dash F I, but there's lots of numbers. Yeah, I think I like took you to get me on Twitter. You honestly think I know how any of this stuff works properly? Okay, so James, your Twitter is capital H O capital F I one four nine eight one 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 four. So if anybody wants to follow James on Twitter, which I highly recommend doing, because you know he's a he's a cool cat. That repeat that is H O F I one four nine eight one 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 four. Very so. unique. So unique that I can't remember it. yeah (laughs) we need to we need to come up with a um a reason why those numbers are there you know make it like a conspiracy theory (laughs) yeah if you put all the numbers into the computer you will find out who bumped up jimmy hopper and kennedy (laughs) and you'll know where where he's been where where hoff is buried (laughs) the three men's men in the suits came to tell us yep there are all the coordinates to where the body is I have to say, I don't know who that person is. Jimmy Hoffa? He, he was a teamster. Yeah. He, he ran the Teamsters. He was a union leader, but also a very shady cat. Got involved with uh, organized the organized crime. Yes. Oh, okay. He's a mob boss. And he's okay. vanished. Let's just say he's a missing person. They have no idea. You, you may not know who he is. They have no idea what happened to him. Okay. He's vanished into thin air one day. Ah, okay. So he's at the bottom of the ocean then. He'll be dead, it's that long ago, but nobody knows where the body is, so there are many, many bizarre theories. Ah, okay. And I'm telling you, if I could have found out where his body was, I would have been out there at midnight digging up the bones. Or <laughs> <laughs> got your snorkel kit on and uh, yeah, kind I'm of... Telling you, I would have sent some people after him, I would have called the FBI, and I, would have, I would have written a bestseller. And as you're, I don't know the joke because I haven't watched the show, but I would have been a millionaire by this time next year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got the joke, so that's fine. (laughs) I will thank you ever so much for joining us. The one you always say Seems distant but somehow pretty nice You know she said to me That she wants me to be The one to pass on some advice She wants you Feel she needs you To be with her all the time Said she's only Feeling lonely Though you think she's feeling fine 